Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 21. Yeah, 21 of the Irish Balance podcast. If you are new to the Irish Balance podcast, hello, my name is Kira. I'm an Irish girl and qualified medical doctor, and I'm specializing in public health medicine in Ireland. And I'm really passionate about public health and preventative medicine, how our lifestyles affect our health through the food we eat, our exercise, how we manage our stress and our sleep. And I use my content on my blog, my podcast and social media to show you guys to empower ourselves and to live happy, healthy lifestyles full of balance. And I'm absolutely loving bringing you guys this podcast. And today I'm so excited to say we've got a part two with a very special guest and UK registered dietitian from Ireland, Maeve Hannon. Maeve, welcome back for part two. How are you? Hi, Kira. Good, thanks. Thanks for having me back. Not at all. I think there was so much that we wanted to chat to or chat about. Sorry. Uh, We just had to split it into two episodes. Um, So I'm really, really glad to have you back. And thank you for your time. Time seems to always fly when we're chatting about nutrition. So pretty standard. (laughs) Yeah, definitely. So if anyone hasn't listened to our part one, we recorded that as episode 20. So you can go back and listen to that after this one, if you like. And we spoke um, about lots of different things. We talked about some of the basics in nutrition that we've seen a lot of myths around, particularly um, fats and carbohydrates. We chatted about dairy and we chatted about um, sustainability and maybe eating for our own health and for that of the environment. So there was loads in that. And I do hope you guys enjoyed listening to last week's episode I am um, in this episode may want to chat to you a little bit more in depth about some of the more recent diet fads we've seen on social media but just in case anyone um, hasn't listened to part one could you just tell us a, a small bit about yourself um, and uh, our listeners may or may not know that you are at dietetically speaking on social media and that's your amazing blog as well so maybe just tell us a little bit um, about that I know you kind of shared your career to date in the last episode mm-hmm. so I won't make you do that again yeah um, <laughs> just a bit of background for context if you're happy enough to yeah, perfect. Um, so yes, I run the website dietetically which aims to promote evidence-based nutrition because that's something I'm really passionate about and especially challenging nutritional nonsense and fad diets because there's so much of that in the media and online. So I suppose mm-hmm. my mission is really just to try and get evidence-based, realistic messages across. Um, so I have the blog and then on social media, as you said, on um, Instagram and Facebook I'm at dietetically speaking and on Twitter I'm at dietetic speak and I'm currently working in Dublin covering for dietitian Orla Walsh and um, so I'm seeing clients face to face and I'm still doing some sort of health writing and some nutrition consultancy work as well. And you're on the radio now too aren't you? Yeah I have a little slot yeah. I'm covering for Orla at the moment on um, Q102 on Wednesday mornings between about half eight quarter to nine. Fantastic. There's this particular slot they do every week where they play love songs and it's such a guilty pleasure. I always think of Q102 yes. when I think of that. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I love amazing. that part as well. <laughs> it's so good. Oh God, it's great to find it when you're out driving. Um, anyway, digression as usual. Uh, fantastic. And like I say, thank you again for last week. I really think it was such a fantastic episode. Um, and I really wanted to um, bring your sort of no-nonsense approach to some of the more recent diet fads we've seen on social media because from from what I've seen a lot of them are just contributing to food fears and as you say there's been a lot of different fad diets and you actually did a recent post on a formula for a fad diet can you share that with us I thought it was a brilliant article and if I'd love you to explain it and uh, now we can look on look at more specific and maybe diet myths and fads after that oh thank you yes so that my formula for a fad diet so I have it 
um, if you scroll down to my Instagram or you can check it on my website. Um, but basically what it is, is some of the main features of a fad diet that I was just seeing appearing again and again, just in different forms, different disguises. So I just thought I put it all together in a formula and I have a video as well on YouTube if you want to see that. Oh, um, brilliant. Yeah. Um, what, what it is, is um, so you take a magic bullet solution or an obsessive focus, something mm. related to nutrition. Then you add on some big promises. So something like, you know, you'll lose two stone in two days or, you know, yeah. you'll cure X, Y, Z disease, whatever it is, some big promises. Um, then you minus the evidence base. So this doesn't need <laughs> to be evidence based. That's usually a key feature of a fad diet. Yeah. Um, multiply by celebrity endorsement. So you often see celebrities promoting or, you know, following certain diets and which really increases the popularity and yeah. what that equals then, so you have your magic bullet solution plus your big promises minus evidence base multiplied by celebrity endorsement. And that just equals absolute nutritional nonsense. And it's it's just not a good way of finding, you know, evidence based, reliable messages to follow about health or nutrition. So it's just really good to be aware of that, I suppose. Definitely, because I think and I think what I loved about that post was that you put all those factors into one and illustrating that to people is really important because we often just see those things in isolation. You might see the big promise on its own. You might see a purported magic bullet on its own um, or maybe the celebrity endorsement on its own and think, oh, I should give that a go. Or maybe that worked for that person um, and apply it to your own life without contextualizing mm -hmm. it. Or, you know, looking at how it actually might do more harm than good um, and putting those together really shows us how damaging it can be. Um, is there a particular fad diets that you found most frustrating from what you've seen online? I think the one that I love to hate the most, I suppose, is mm -hmm. um, the, the alkaline diet, which I did briefly mention in the last podcast as well. Yeah, yeah. Um, so that's the one where it says, you know, eat certain alkalizing foods and that will increase the pH of your blood and that's good for health. Um, which really, as I said, is just complete nonsense. Um, but the reason that I really dislike that diet so much is because it's often promoted as a cure for cancer or like an alternative treatment in certain countries. And that's just really damaging and really worrying if somebody decides, you know, OK, I'm going to try this instead of an actual medical yeah. evidence based intervention. So it can do real harm. Definitely. Um, could you, I suppose, in case anyone hasn't listened to part one, just briefly mm -hmm. tell us what the alkaline diet is exactly or what it proposes to do? And maybe is, yeah. is there any evidence at all? I really would doubt it. But <laughs> yes. Um, so basically the alkaline diet. Um, so it first came up in um, it was about the, the 20th century. And it was basically when we were starting to understand that if you burn a food in the lab, you can measure the pH of the ash and see is it alkaline? Is it acid? And then, you know, from that, um, people start to get ideas that actually we should start to you know, acid is bad, we should have more alkaline, that's um, related to health. And a lot of this was based on like preliminary sort of animal-based studies and things, um, okay. or lab-based studies. But even at the time, they knew that it didn't interact with our body in that way. So if you mm -hmm. think about it, so when we digest a food, so, you know, it goes down into our stomach, which is mixed with, um, you know, our gastric juices there, which has a really low pH. So that's mm -hmm. going to change the pH straight away of the food that you've eaten. Um, and, you know, it changes like all throughout the digestive system. Um, so if you eat a certain food, it doesn't directly impact the pH of your blood. Um, and that's, I suppose, really the key point that it just 
it's just not possible for that to happen. And if it was, actually, that would be really dangerous because if our pH goes too low, we can get acidosis or too high, we can get alkalosis, which are both serious medical conditions. So actually, it's a good thing that we can't do this. You know, our body is really clever at regulating its pH within a really tight, safe level. Definitely. And I mean, as a doctor who's worked clinically for the past three years and I've treated disturbances of pH as part of different medical conditions you know whether sometimes it happens in the context of type 1 diabetes or it can happen in the context of kidney disease and when you invest you know obviously needed time and, and resources and knowledge in trying to fit, you know help that person and cure that imbalance it really gets my back up then to see people trying to deliberately I mean I know it obviously doesn't work but deliberately alter the blood pH it, I mean it, mm-hmm. none of these diets ever mention the fact that our liver and kidneys do this for us <laughs> very exactly. very very well <laughs> exactly our body is just so clever it's just so good at keeping us safe absolutely um, and I know the word detox I mean like Jesus pardon my language sorry the word <laughs> detox just it drives me mad in for that exact reason and it's graced the pages of so many so-called health magazines plus you know, the pages of many different um, social media influencers who might be given payments to promote specific detox products. I think we're all familiar with um, Skinny Teas plugged by, I know it was at least one of the Kardashians, um, which I think has been taken down since. Um, why do you think these persist so much? Um, because I know as the word you used in reference to another dietary issue in our last episode is insidious, but I really do think they are. Why do you think mm-hmm. they persist as much as they do? I think why do- it's... I suppose it's one of those things related to our psychology. It's like when you want to believe something, you know, you're Mm. more likely to. And, you know, it would be great if we had, you know, just drink this tea and that's going to flush out your system and it's going to be really good for your health. Uh, Whereas when it actually comes down to it, it's our overall lifestyle and a healthy diet and, you know, managing your stress and staying hydrated and, you know, sleeping enough. It's all of these things which impact our overall health. There isn't just that quick fix. So I think there's an element of, I suppose, um, maybe like wishful thinking or, um, you know, that kind of thing. Sure. Yeah. Also, I suppose the way exactly. And you can understand that. I mean, that would be great if that that was real. Um, But I think also then, yeah, the celebrity endorsements, even the packaging and very much targeted at women for the most part, you know, very pink and um. You know, they're often I often see them at like eye level in pharmacies and that kind of thing. And, you know, in health shops. And so I I am surprised that because I feel like the public understanding is getting a lot better around that side of things. I think, you know, a lot of people would realize that, you know, these aren't useful or a good idea. Mm. And, you know, most of the times they're just basically laxatives. And which people would willingly take unless they absolutely Mm -hmm. had to. Exactly. Yeah. So it's something that you know, it's just a needless expense that could have a bad impact and isn't going to detox your body. Because as you said, it's your skin, livers, kidneys, Mm. you know, all these organs, our lungs as well. They detox our body. Yeah. So a tea isn't going to. I think that's really important that we've gone straight into that one first, because I I know we were chatting about this not long after Easter. um, And I think a lot Mm. of people like myself, uh, probably might have had more than they normally would as regards chocolate, but we don't oh, need yeah. detox to fix that. That's just balance. That's life. You know, it's enjoying exactly. your Easter. That's um, right. And I think, yeah, it's just really important, I guess. Um, and I think I totally agree with you. I think the quick fix, uh, like you say, the magic bullet, the the first the first factor in the form in the fad diet formula, is often what people seek because it's just often wrapped up in a sexier packaging. But actually. Mm-hmm what gives sexy results in the long term is 
the basics and the balance um, and putting food in context of a person's lifestyle I, I would be kind of my take on it. Absolutely. One I would love to go into next is the one that actually that's I know you said that, that the alkaline is diet is sort of your bugbear. The carnivore diet is absolutely my bugbear. Um, <laughs> it's just it makes my blood boil so much. Um, and I've seen conversations online about it. I've had people try and tell me the benefits of it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I use try with a heavy emphasis there in bold writing. Yes. Um, and I just I really think it's I suppose, first of all, OK, before I ramble. Could you tell us what this diet entails, why it's nutrient nonsense um, and what nutrients are are missing from it? Um, mm-hmm. Those kind of those, I think, are three key points about it. So, yeah, I'm totally with you there. The carnivore diet really annoys me, too, because it's just so ridiculous. It actually yeah. feels like it's a joke. Yeah, um, exactly. So <laughs> basically, the diet is just beef, salt and water. Um, I've seen some people include bourbon in there. Mm-hmm. Um, but really it's mainly just beef um, so that means that obviously there's no fruit no veg no whole grains beans nuts dairy you know all of these really important nutrients yeah it's you know it's just not by any means a nutritionally complete diet and there's a really high risk of constipation to start with yep. um, of nutritional deficiencies longer term health risks like a longer term risk of heart disease of bowel cancer um, I mean, we were speaking in the last episode about how, um, you know, having a very high intake of red or processed meat um, isn't good for our health and we should try yeah. and keep it to a more moderate level. You know, not that we need to avoid it, but, mm. you know, this is just the complete opposite of that. It's and it, in a sense, I feel like it's a bit of a backlash against the rise of plant based diets. It's people yeah. being like going the complete opposite direction, whereas it is that balanced kind of gray area in the middle where mm. true health lies. I just I don't I genuinely don't understand why it's even become a fad like I know like as you say we chatted in the last episode about the plant-based trend and how nuanced that is and why we do need to be really careful about um, making sure it doesn't lead to people eliminating or majorly reducing specific food groups like meat and dairy without knowing what nutrients they will then need to replace um, in quite sufficient significant amounts um, and, you know, we I think that's a huge conversation at the moment, particularly around sustainable eating um, and the environment and that sort of things. But then this fad comes along and it just to me, it almost like inverts the food pyramid and says, yeah, this is how we should eat. I, I just genuinely it does baffle me that it's become a fad at all. I don't really follow any <laughs> Instagram accounts that promote it. I, un- I unfollowed anything that did. To be honest, I think mm-hmm. there was only one person I saw that had been in my feed who maybe adopted it recently and followed yeah. that straight away. But I, I just don't, I don't really get it. It just seems to go against everything we know as healthcare professionals about a healthy yeah. diet. And common sense as well. It is. It's, yeah. Yeah. I don't, I don't get it either, but um, I think it is quite a niche thing. Obviously I don't think it's, yeah. you know, overly common, but it has got a lot of media attention because it's so bizarre basically. Yeah. Um, but it is scary. Like I went on to like the Reddit stream that was talking about this and mm. it's people just describing, you know, at the start, you know, how great they feel and then how horrendous they feel. And really? so yeah. it is worrying just to see like the real life example of people talking about this. Yeah. And um, there was a good article as well. Actually, one of the um, Guardian journalists wrote about this, like his experience of it. I think he tried it for a week or so. For, and, for research purposes, I assume. Yeah. Oh, exactly. Yeah, yeah. And it was just how, first of all, got like extremely constipated, like no energy. He just he just felt absolutely awful. Mm. And, you know, it's just it's worrying to think that people are unnecessarily putting themselves through that. Yeah, exactly. I totally agree. Um, and I, w- I mean, I think it was yourself that told me the person who started this trend says that he gets 
his nutritional messages from ghosts. Is that correct? Uh, yeah, is, I think it might have been um, related to. Yeah, I don't want to say the person's medicine. name. Give the, give no, no, no. Yeah, but, absolutely not. Um, I don't. Yeah, I don't it, name it, and shame on my podcast. <laughs> yeah, good. Um, but yes, yeah, so I think it, it might have been related to that person. There was also, um, I think, somebody popularized it more in the UK was. Um, she was a daughter of a psychologist, I think, and she was just talking about her experience of it and how it helped with her chronic illness. Um, so it was very much, you know, you know, one person's anecdotal experience. Yeah, exactly. Um, I think that's an important point to make because I I know this isn't something that we, we had chatted about discussing on, on this episode, but it is probably important to mention, like there's a hierarchy of evidence that we follow for any sort of, um, you know, health um, advice. That's true for us as medics. But I know there's been a lot of chat about what is evidence based in nutrition. And there's so many nuances to that hierarchy of evidence, particularly in nutrition, that I think a lot of people don't understand, particularly and I wouldn't expect them to, but particularly when we see so many headlines that, you know, seem to give one message. It's really, really hard, I think, to translate the, the wealth of research that's out there and then even um, how much of, of that type of research is its quality and how much of it is just quantity. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. Um, definitely. Yeah, so the hierarchy of evidence definitely really important. So um, if you Google it, there's usually like nice little pyramids and things that come up. Mm. Um, and it's just, I suppose, the main message to really take away is that, um, you know, case studies of like one person's experience will be lower down on that hierarchy and like lab-based, animal-based studies lower down Whereas the top, the highest quality evidence is like randomized control trials where it's like yeah. a direct trial and, um, you know, it's really well designed and you have a placebo group. And so then you can actually tell if an intervention's working. And then even mm. higher than that is they take all the relevant randomized control trials for one specific question. They pull them all together and they use lots of fancy statistical methods mm. to give us an overall answer. So they're much more robust, higher quality evidence. And even at that, they're only answering us was one nuanced research question. That's the yeah, thing. Um, exactly. and yeah. It can take I know like we learned about sort of the time it takes for a particular, let's say, um, medical medicine to get from, you know, doing studies in mice and rats to doing trials in humans to actually being on the market. It's, you know, anything from 15 to 20 years. Um, so it does take a long time. And I think people do get frustrated with the speed with which myths can spread. Um, and I suppose the confusion that results around that. But the problem is, is that sometimes it does just take more time for us to get enough research and evidence behind these various questions that are maybe raised as a result of, of media frenzies around particular topics. Um, it just takes us that amount of time to get quality evidence to say we have an evidence base um, yeah. to give a, you know, to give an answer, I guess. That's probably exactly. And I can understand people being frustrated around that. Mm-hmm. It definitely can be really hard. Technology yeah. just makes things move so much faster now than they it's ever did true. before. I know, but I definitely agree. I think it's important that we do that stage properly. So it's actually based on quality evidence and we're not just jumping the gun and, you know, risking people's health, really. Definitely. And I suppose the and a key thing as well is that like we do know the basics work. And I think mm-hmm. that's why we do have to keep banging on about them, even if people don't want to hear about those 50 shades of grey, we have to keep talking. Yeah, about it. definitely. So like what I often say is that, in terms of nutrition for the past 50 years or so like the broad strokes have stayed the same mm-hmm. but it's the finer details that we're getting more evidence and we're like we're honing in you know maybe exactly you know how much amounts of this or that or you know maybe something might have changed like um you know we now know that eggs that the type of fat that we get in eggs isn't directly bad for our heart you know those kinds of things 
Mm. Um, so it's the tiny little details that we're improving on, but really the main messages are very similar. Yeah, exactly. Um, now we've totally gone sidelined on that one, but yeah. such, as, such as life, I think they were important points to make. Um, the next thing I want to ask you about, Maven, I know you you have kind of got into it in quite a bit of detail on your blog, which is handy for people who want to read a little bit more after they listen to this. But there's a lot of confusion and fear about sweeteners and foods. Um, I think particularly among parents making dietary choices when you know choosing foods for children. And there were a lot of questions um, about it in a, a workshop on new children's um, nutrition that I um, helped deliver recently. Um, I was just wondering if we could dive into that a little bit. Um, and I'll just start by saying, I guess, what is a sweetener? And then following up from that, are they safe for us to consume? And I know they're sort of big questions, but mm-hmm. I think there was, there's just so much, um, there seems to be a lot of confusion about it. Yeah, so I'll try and keep it concise for this one. Um, <laughs> so sweeteners basically substitutes for sugar, which provide little to no calories. Um, so any sweeteners that we have in our food supply have been rigorously tested by the European Food Safety Authority to make sure that they're safe to consume. Mm-hmm. And there's some evidence that sweeteners can be good for our teeth and for managing blood sugar levels. Uh, but there are some exceptions to that. So um, you're mentioning about children there. So yeah. artificial sweeteners aren't recommended for children under three years old. And that's basically because they haven't been tested out in that group. So it's just okay. you know a bit of an unknown, I suppose. And yeah. also because children at that age need to have a high amount of energy in their diet because they're growing so rapidly and developing that, you know, children under three shouldn't be on like low fat, low calorie things. Yeah. Um. then also, so there's a specific case as well. If someone has a condition called PKU where they need to avoid aspartame. And okay. in that case, um, you know, that's just one specific exception. Mm-hmm. Um, there is a little bit of evidence coming out that they might not be so good for the diversity of our gut microflora. Okay. But it's quite early research, so we don't really know that for sure. So mm. kind of taking all that into account, like most things, they're absolutely fine in moderation and seem to be safe in our diet. Um, it's not something that you need to add to your diet to be healthy. But if we compare it to somebody who, say, consumes a lot of sugar, you know, puts a lot of sugar in their tea, moving to a sweetener is is a step in the right direction okay brilliant yeah and again like that moderation piece and context as you say um really really important thank you that was you yeah. definitely did do that in a very concise way thank you very much good good <laughs> um now i know something that we we hadn't chatted about before recording this but you did mention the gut microflora and i think that's definitely a topic that has been very widely discussed um, is gut health. Could we dive into that maybe briefly? What do you think? Sure, yeah. So I think, um, so when it comes to gut health, as you said, there's a lot of research coming out and it's becoming quite a hot nutritional topic as well. Mm. Um, so, you know, there's different areas. There's the prebiotics, probiotics, there's fibers, um, I suppose evidence related to IBS and that kind of thing. Mm. For thinking like general population, healthy yeah. messages, one of the best things we can do for the diversity of our gut microflora is to have a big variety of plants in the diet. So one particular study found that having at least 30 types of plants in the diet every week is associated okay. with more diverse gut health, um, which is you know beneficial for our overall health. Mm. Um, and that doesn't just mean that can sound quite intimidating when you say, you know, have 30 different plants. That sounds like 30 different fruit and veg. But yeah. actually, that includes like say if you have porridge, like oats would be one. If you have yeah. bread, wheat, wheat would be one. Rice would be one. Um, if you have a bag of mixed nuts where there's like three types of nuts, that's another three. So it's, you know, it's thinking yeah. about all the plant-based foods, 
and then and then when it comes to the fruit and veg it's maybe you know if you go shopping twice a week just buy a different fruit and veg each time or have some frozen ones that are maybe different to the fresh ones that you buy and you mm. know things like that just to mix it up because as well as the gut microdiversity of the diversity of the gut microflora um it's also you know we get different vitamins and minerals and antioxidants and things from different yeah. fruit and veg nuts and seeds so one of the best things we can do really is have that wide variety Definitely. And that will help us, I guess, get that fiber up, too, because we know Clean. all those foods are really all those plant based foods are, are higher in fiber. And we do know that most of us don't eat enough fiber, which mm-hmm. I think is where a lot of the, I think the conversation around good health seems to again. And this is probably part of food industry and marketing, but it seems to get lost in um, advice around supplements. And um, yes. it's almost like jumping the gun to saying buy this supplement or buy this um, bar, jar of kimchi or buy this you know bottle of kefir. Um, as opposed to just focusing on, is there enough fiber in my diet in the first place? Yeah, because that's really the starting point for most people. It's getting those basics right. And then in some cases, um, you know, a probiotic supplement might be appropriate. But Mm. it's, you know, if we're thinking about what most people should do, it's really that diversity of plants in the diet. Just for the listeners who might be wondering, because I know um, there is an article on on my blog on this, which you kindly had a read through for me. Um, Prebiotics and probiotics. difference yes so uh the prebiotics are the food for the probiotics and the probiotics are the the bacteria the beneficial bacteria in the gut okay um so for thinking so a lot of prebiotics are different types of fibers basically so fruit and veg and so for example like apples and leeks and chicory and um pears and you know bananas i think as well aren't they bananas are a good one Yeah, yeah 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 Um, so a lot of these foods are high in prebiotics, onions as well. Um, so they feed the good bacteria in the gut. You can also get prebiotic supplements. Um, evidence is, again, quite new on that. So it isn't the case that we should, we all need to take a prebiotic supplement to be healthy. Um, yeah. I think the better place to focus on is that diversity in the diet because you'd be getting plenty of prebiotics that way. Yeah. And then in terms of probiotics, um, so we you know we naturally have these in our gut. We can add them in with certain probiotic supplements and certain types of live yogurts and things. Um, but if you have to be careful here because it depends how it's been made. So if they're right. live organisms, so if a certain type of sauerkraut or kimchi, if if the jar has been like heat treated, then that might mm. kill the probiotics in there. Um, or, you know, certain types of yogurts, depending on how they're produced, um, the live bacteria can actually be used up in the fermentation process. Okay. So for example, on yogurts, it's you're looking for the actual name of the probiotic. So it might say like lactobacillus or mm-hmm. acidophilus, you know, whatever it is. Yeah. Um, so that's what if you're getting a probiotic yogurt, which, you know, probably as you know, as far as we know, doesn't do any harm anyway. Um, and mm. it could be beneficial. We just don't have very strong evidence yet to say that, you know, we need to be taking probiotics or actively adding them into our diet. Yeah. Uh, but it's looking like it could be a beneficial thing to do. Yeah. And I think, as you've said, it's it's all about a food first approach. Like, mm-hmm. I think it, it complicated. Like you can, uh, I think people, like I say, get caught up in that, you know, should I be taking a supplement type of thing? It's like, well, if we all get enough fiber in, then we know we're doing the best for our gut health. And as you say, if we focus on getting a diverse range of plant-based foods, then we're looking at what health we can add to our plate. Yeah. Um, which is, I love that because I think there's so much conversations around what to take away and that approach doesn't really bring any joy if you remove things you can't get anything mm-hmm. nice from it you know um exactly 
as I say, it makes having an apple a day okay. It makes having a banana a day okay. Not that it's not okay anyway, but you'll get all the extra nutritional benefits as well as those foods being good for your gut as well. Exactly. Yeah, it just adds another benefit there, which can be really motivating. And I suppose also other things we can add in to help our gut health is, you know, exercise, stress reduction, getting enough sleep and, you know, all the like basically all the healthy lifestyle things seem to have a big impact on our gut health. So it's we we can't really look at anything in isolation as well. So it's just another reason to have, you know, just think about that balanced, healthy lifestyle in moderation. Definitely. And probably a lot cheaper than a supplement as well. Yeah, true. true, Yeah. (laughs) Uh, the last one Maeve that I want to ask you thank you for indulging me on the gut health uh, side of things I just know that it's definitely something in that's been the topic of a lot of chat and as a result maybe a lot of confusion too so hopefully we were able to clarify that for people Um, and the last thing that I wanted to chat to you about isn't so much a diet fad it's just something that I've been asked about quite a bit and I very much like to stay in my lane as a doctor and a doctor who's in public health and while nutrition is a really important part of public health it's it doesn't make me a nutritionist or a dietitian um so I'm always very conscious of when people ask me questions whether it's on Instagram or through emails and things that um I stay in my own lane as a doctor and don't go outside of it um right. which is why I want to ask you about um soy foods because mm-hmm. I know you were asked about this in the talk you gave um at UCD last year which I was at and it's come up in a couple of different nutritional talks that I've attended my, from my own learning um about soya foods and whether they're um I suppose quotation marks good or bad for us um where we get them from and yeah I, I suppose they're kind of the two main things I get asked mm-hmm. um so yeah this is another common question that does come up and so if we talk about what soya foods are to start with so yeah. anything that's made from soybeans and um, mm. so that can be the edamame beans themselves um so I either you them. can they're so nice aren't they oh, you can like you know if, if you don't know exactly what they are they, they're often added to salads or if you get sushi it's the kind of uh, the beans the green beans that you get along with a packet of sushi yeah um and you can buy them frozen and things but yeah they're really tasty um and then tofu, so that's made from soybeans. And tempeh is another one. So that's mm. made from fermented soybeans. And then we have like the soya milks. Well, they're not actually called that anymore. They're called soya drinks and soya, soya drinks, yogurts. Yeah. yeah. Um, soy sauce, miso is another type of fermented soya. Um, so all of these products all made from soybeans. So if we're thinking then about, you know, basically, are they good or bad? So soya is a really nutritious food. And, the, you know, it's a high source of plant-based protein and um it's high in fiber um and it's high in the soluble type of fiber which is really good for it can mop up some of the more harmful cholesterol in the blood that kind of thing um so there's quite good evidence that a regular intake of soya is good for heart health and some evidence it might also help to manage hot flushes for women who are going through the menopause oh right interesting yeah so there is a bit of evidence there for benefits um but again there are some situations where it's not appropriate so um, for example, babies who are under six months old, it isn't advised to give them soya or mm. obviously anyone who has a soya allergy um, or somebody who takes medication for hypothyroid. So an underactive thyroid, because soya can basically interfere with the absorption of that medication. So it's okay. not that they can never have soya. It's just you're meant to have like a four hour gap between taking the medication and having something that contains soya. And also just to not have big dramatic changes in the amount of soya in your diet um, so that can just take a little bit of tweaking with your dietitian, with your doctor, just if you do consume soya. Um, Check so in with those, them and make sure that that's 
are yeah. you okay before you go for it yeah exactly um and then so other areas as well there's a bit of evidence that soya might pre- be good for bone health um might be beneficial in reducing the risk of certain types of cancer but just again to say that's quite early research and we'd need more research to look mm. into you know the effect of soya with cancer mm-hmm. um and so but if somebody is thinking about you know maybe say replacing their dairy foods with soya um it's important to make sure that first of all if you're having like a soya drink or a soya yogurt make sure it's fortified with calcium and b12 mm. because that needs to be added in it's not naturally found um, in high amounts and also um, iodine can be an issue so okay. because like dairy is our main source of iodine in Ireland mm. so if somebody say switches over to more soya based alternatives um, some companies are starting to fortify soya based products with iodine as well but that's quite new so it's okay. not across the board yet um, so it's thinking of making sure um, so white fish is a really good source of iodine mm. some and some types of oily fish too um seaweed as we mentioned in the last podcast um so it's just being careful just to make sure that you still get in your iodine I think yeah thank you for highlighting those again because I know we we, we did chat about them quite a bit in part one so I won't like go, go into it again this time around yeah. but the calcium and iodine particularly from dairy um it's just really important for everyone to be aware of because it's it is purely it well it's because we just you know it's a dietary staple in Ireland despite mm-hmm. all the chat around plant-based diets and things as a population, um, I'm sure this is, I think this is the UK case as well. Um, most people do consume these foods. And so if a lot of people start to reduce them without knowing those two nutrients might then be deficient in the body. Um, you know, we, we have to be really careful about that. Definitely. And if anyone does want to hear a little bit more about why that's important and um, calcium and our bone health and iodine and our thyroid health, we did chat about that quite a lot in episode or in part one. So definitely go have a listen um, to that. And if you do want to hear more. Um, So Maeve, thank you so much for the uh, last two episodes. I really, really hope you've enjoyed it as much as I have and that our listeners have as well. I thought it was important to dive into some of the more um, nuances in this episode and particularly things you and I have been asked quite a bit about Mm -hmm. because I think sometimes, you know, we have to be very careful about, um, well, I I know you don't and I don't either, but um, healthcare professionals really shouldn't give individualized medical advice online or nutritional yeah. advice online it's, it is all about seeing someone in person but mm-hmm. it is helpful to to speak broadly about topics without being prescriptive to sort of share the important information yeah, definitely oh thank you so much Kira. i've really enjoyed being on and having a chat absolutely and sure look we may even do a part three <laughs> we'll have to yeah sounds time. good <laughs> um so thank you again for coming on and as you did with um our last episode could you let our listeners know where to find you if they want to follow or um have a look at your content and i highly recommend that they do and have a look at your blog as well thanks so much kira so um my blog is on my website which is dietheticallyspeaking.com on instagram and facebook i'm at dietetically speaking and on twitter i'm at dietetic speak and we know we can hear you on Q102 as well. Oh, yeah. Wednesday mornings <laughs> at the moment. Um, between about half eight, quarter to nine. Brilliant. Um, and maybe could I ask you one more question? I'm trying. Uh, the last I recorded with um, Joe O'Brien did a mental health episode recently. And I had in my head when I started to do interviews with guests, um, and my listeners will know this, I had um, Dr. Seppi Mary on and I asked her, um, what she one thing she thought our listeners could do to bring a bit more balance into their lives. And that was what I wanted to bring as my like, 
um, question to each guest. And I totally forgot to do that with Joe. So I'll have to bring him back for a part two so I can actually do that. So I've yeah. made myself remember. Um, so people listening can hold me accountable to this. Um, could, do, would you have one thing from a nutritional perspective that you think people could do to add a bit more of an Irish balance to their diet or lifestyle? Um, I'll leave it up to you. Yeah, I think I really what I was talking there about the variety in plant based foods. Mm. I think that's one of the most positive things that we can do. And it's just getting into that habit of, you know, I suppose breaking our habits in terms of, you know, when I go shopping, I just buy these reg and these fruit of just trying to push the boat out a little bit and get a bit more variety. And it can be a lot more enjoyable. It's, you know, you start thinking about different ways of cooking things, different things you can add in. But from a health point of view, it's just so much more diverse, which is fantastic. I love that. That is absolutely brilliant. I was actually really hoping you're going to say that. That's fantastic. Thank you, Maeve. Um, so everyone, thank you so much for listening. I really hope you enjoyed this episode with Maeve and I and the previous one too. Um, we'd love to hear from you. So if you do listen, um, get in touch, leave us a comment on the podcast. You can listen on Spotify or iTunes or Podbean. Um, you can slide into our DMs. Uh, you can send an email, whatever you like, and definitely give Maeve a follow. She's at Dietetically Speaking on Instagram. Um, and uh, at Dietetic Speak on Twitter. That's right. Yes. Yeah. yeah perfect. <laughs> um, and I will see you guys next week um, and chat to you then on hopefully a different new topic and a new guest. And we might get made back for a part three. We'll see if we can twist your arm. Uh-huh. Thanks, thanks for Thanks, Karen. No problem. Bye, Bye guys.